millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. and welcome to another episode of the Rogue Air Report podcast in association with the Southern Commuter Soup Kitchen. It's Gav and we've been away for a little while. We've had a proper old break over the new year and the Christmas, but we are back with a bang, back regularly and ready to rock and roll. And joining me tonight is Chris. Hiya, mate. Been a while. All right, mate. Yeah, it's been it's been uh, kind of nice to have a break, but um, at the same time, there's been plenty to talk about. So, um I think we've got a lot to get to, to be honest. There has, and that's why we've decided tonight. We're not going to be doing a review or a preview. We're going to just answer questions because, as the listeners will be aware, we have been pretty inconsistent over Christmas. I'm sure you can allow us that. In the meantime, what I've done is I've sourced some questions from our lovely Twitter followers who've given us plenty to talk about. They want to hear our thoughts on pretty much everything which has happened in between the last time me and you sat down. So tonight we're going to do a Q&A, Chris which should be interesting. Yep. It's going to be a bumper episode, so might be a bit longer than usual, but we've got a lot to cover off. We want to get caught right up so that after Ipswich, we can just roll back into it. Shall we start with a horrible one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, well, I haven't read half of them, so I'm, I'm kind of uh, worried about what's coming up. Yeah, we're going to have to talk about Newcastle, aren't we? I mean, it's been a it's been a while now since the game. I felt, you know, a bit flat after it. In the days that came after it, I didn't really want to talk to anyone about it. I still, I still don't really want to talk about it. Been listening to the radio tonight. I've had uh, BBC Newcastle on while I've been making the tea, and I think even they're getting a little bit sick of talking about it. You know, Simon Pride keeps apologising for bringing up things which they've talked about on numerous occasions, but we've got to talk about it. We can't avoid the Newcastle game, so let's get that over and done with right at the top. We've had a few questions from the Twitter followers and the listeners, as I say. Uh, the first one, right off the bat, Sunderland FC info on Twitter says, "Did we set up properly against the Mags? Was expecting to set up like we did against Leeds." Yeah, I mean, I'll take this one, Chris, to start things off and you can come in afterwards. But this is something which I said in the build-up quite a bit. On the Friday Night Live we did before the game, I was saying that I was expecting us to maybe set up like we did against Leeds. Play, not, you know, seal not coming in necessarily, but playing like a, a flat-back five and invite Newcastle onto us a little bit and defend properly and, and get organised. And one of the big criticisms of the team and of the manager in, in many respects coming out of the game has been around why we set up the way we did. I mean, it was evidenced in the second goal, perhaps more than anything, when Pierre Ekwell lost the ball on the edge of the box, 30 seconds into half and Newcastle score, that we were trying to play out, we were trying to do things we do in the Championship, but against not only a Premier League team, but a team whose biggest strength is their press. So in many respects, we 
we set up against Newcastle and made it easy for them in my mind. I know, I know we had our chances, but the tactics for me were all wrong. I don't know what you think, but it, it, it is the big lingering doubt and frustration coming out the game <laughs> that we we did that. Because I just think if we maybe played a little bit like we did against Leeds, we had a better chance of of getting something from the match. And, and unfortunately, we didn't. And as a result... We're still sat here licking our wounds, having lost three 0 Yeah, that's it. It's the that's the problem, isn't it? It's the it's the big what if. We had half a chance. You know, we we were thinking that there's that small chance we can we can go out and beat them, and we all had our views on how we should set up. And I mean, I think that everyone, you know, looking at our previous games, the way we set up against Leeds, and and actually, you know, Leeds are a better team than us. Look at you know how the league tables panning out and. Look at the players Leeds have got. I mean, they're a better team than us. So we did something different against Leeds and we, we had the perfect game plan and it, and it came off and, and the players responded to it. The players actually did something that actually I don't think we'd ever expected of this team. They kind of stopped that natural instinct to play football and, and Dodd set them up in a way where we played on the counter and we looked dangerous as well when we when we kept trying to catch Leeds. And it all looks set up for, you know, doing the same against Newcastle. But on the other hand, we definitely should have set up that way. But on the other hand, we're playing a top 10 Premier League side and we could also go and say, well, would it have made a difference? You know, there's a big difference between inviting Leeds United onto you than there is a top 10 Premier League side. Mm -hmm. So, look, who knows? You know, if we'd set up like that, Newcastle might have gotten an early goal, then... It's difficult for them to us to change our game plan. Then it might end up five or six nil because we've got to try and change it. I mean, who knows how it would have panned out? But you have to say that trying to play football like we did, if you look at some of our home games and how we've come unstuck against certain sides, you know, that sometimes we haven't looked like scoring against championship sides at home. We haven't yeah. looked like creating many chances. So it, it was very strange that we tried to do that and we looked like we have against certain championship sides where we've struggled to, like I said, we tr- struggled to create those chances. But mm-hmm. on this occasion, like I said, it was a top 10 Premier League side and yeah. you're not going to get away with that. No, I've been thinking about this the last few days. You know, obviously I, I, I am of the mind that we should have played a little bit more like we did against Leeds. But then I was thinking, you know, if, if we did that and it went tits up. Yeah, exactly. And he would have been criticised for that. People would have said, why did we not go go toe-to-toe with them? Because that's what we're best at. Yeah. So I don't know if you can necessarily win in that respect. I I think the thing that rankles most with people is that while we, you know, I, I don't think there's any doubt that Newcastle deserved to win. We didn't make it hard for them. They never really got out of first gear. All three goals were gifts. And we probably had just as good chances in terms of, you know, you think of Pritchard skimming the top of the bar, the one with the outside of his boot, the shot Ekwa had, which Dubravka made a brilliant save from, the one Clark uh, forced out of him. We, we had good chances in that game. So uh, I've been toying with it all week. I, I'm trying not to think too much about this game, to be honest. It's kind of in the past yeah. and you have to try and move past it. But I just think, yes, there was scope to have played differently, but there was no guarantee that was going to there was going to be any, any different outcome because, as I've said to a lot of people, I actually think the players were overawed. I think the young players in particular, like Job, Equa, uh, Trey Hume, Jack Clark, the the ones who are I would say are, are the mainstays in the team, 
they really struggled just to, to do anything. And I think the occasion was too big for some of them. And it's not the first time. We've said this before when we played Stoke, that game where Alex Neal came to the stadium and were like, all right, that is nowhere near as big as the derby. But it was a big occasion and we folded. Mid- Middlesbrough this season, yes, the referee sending off Dan Neal had a big impact on the game, but we folded. We we have form, this team, for folding in home games, in, in pressure situations. And, you know, the other side of the coin, we did beat Middlesbrough last year. We did win the first leg of the of the playoffs against Luton. Um, but we had a big game player in those in those games in Ahmad and he, and he contributed. So I, I do just think yeah. that they probably would have won anyways, regardless what we would have done. And <laughs> it hurts to say that because I, I really backed us going into the game. I thought their form was crap. I just thought we, we looked in the games leading up to it that, that we might have something about us. But you just saw the quality of some of their players. Bruno Guimaraes has been pretty poor recently for Newcastle. I think the, the just the sheer amount of games that they've played has impacted him. Yet he looked world class. He looked outstanding. Um Kieran Trippier, who everybody was saying, you know, Jack Clark's gonna turn him inside out. You got nowhere near him. And I just yeah. think sometimes it's just that. They they've got a class of player in their squad that to Sunderland isn't attainable right now. And it showed in the big game. And they've played big games this season. I mean they they beat PSG at home. The bat had PSG at home in the Champions League, so that you know what I mean. I just, maybe it's just inevitable that this would have happened. I don't. We're, we're never going to know because we're never going to get the chance to turn the clock back and change the tactics. But I just think when you actually think about it, it, it would have been a tough ask of us to win that game. Yeah, and and this is the problem. Look, let's say let's say in the third round we got I don't know Fulham at home or Wolves, you know, someone like that, a mid-table. Premier League side, you know, someone who's not not anywhere near the bottom, you know, they're not really challenging at the top. And Newcastle, mm-hmm. have, you know, argued. I think there are there are a couple of places above Wolves and a few points ahead of Fulham or whatever. But you know, that sort of club, and they came to the stadium light, and we had that game. I think the overriding kind of conclusion that everyone would have come out with would have been, "Yep, Gulf's massive. What's next? Let's not worry about it." But the problem is with playing Newcastle, it's difficult to review the game because of the emo- the emotion behind it. That you know we were that desperate to get a result, and we were imagining that if we'd get a result against them, the amount of money they've spent, you know, the, you know, the ridiculous owners, the fact that we're a league below them, and we've just recently come up from League One. I mean, the bragging rights if we'd managed to pull it off would have been unreal whereas you know they're beating us and it's kind of as much as they're celebrating it it's you know it, it's almost difficult for them to celebrate it because it's like you know all we can throw back is where we're a division below you and so you should beat us like that yeah. so but it's difficult for us to let go of that little bit of hope that we all had and we all thought if we pull it off that big if and, and we were all hoping that it was going to come you know it was going to come and we were going to be able to you know, until, you know, maybe the day we get in the Premier League, we could just play on that one victory in the FA Cup. But yeah. but what it does show, all you need to do is look at the Premier League table. I mean, Luton, Burnley, Sheffield United, Everton just above them because they've been deducted 10 points. They're all kind of adrift. You know, Luton's four points adrift of Brentford if you take Everton out of the equation. I mean, just look at the golf. I mean, the, the Burnley and Sheffield United, I mean, they came... They came and played us last season and they were way ahead of where we are and they're, they're getting smashed every week. And that's the gulf. That's the massive big step that we have to take and that we're trying to take our time to do it. So, mm. look, like I said, if if it was Wolves, Fulham, 
I don't know, Palace, someone like that, we would have went, yeah, Gulf's massive, let's move on, who's next? But because it's Newcastle, we're getting hung up a bit on, you know, how we should have played the game. Interestingly, that's the only question we actually got about the game. (laughs) Out of of 30-odd replies that we've had to that tweet that I put out, uh, that's the only one we got about the game. It's the stuff which happened off the pitch, which people really want to hear us talk about. Mm -hmm. And and it it did, you can't deny that it overshadowed the occasion. It it did. And things which we're going to get into, which are going to be talked about for years and years to come. I mean, we'll start (laughs) off with perhaps the tamer end of it. There's been quite a lot of criticism of the Spirit of 37 group from not just Newcastle fans, but some of our own fans about the 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 display which was put on the, the the crowd funded an awful lot of money to put that display on everybody who was in the ground had a part to play whether that be holding up a a piece of coloured plastic or a card or holding a flag but the group behind it have had such a backlash to not only the the quality of the the display but you know a lot of people accusing them of things uh, in terms of the the use of the money they've decided now that they're not going to do this anymore. And we've had a couple of questions about it. Niall has asked us our thoughts on the Spirit of 37 situation. Uh, James LH, he's said, uh, given unjust, in my view, criticism of the Spirit of 37 display, should we be confident in being a club that doesn't need big, some would say contrived displays to show the passion of the fan base? Uh, I'll just come to you, I guess, on that. You know, what what's your overall thoughts on the, the display which happened on the day, but also the, the kind of, the, the way that, some of our own fans, yes, it's on social media, but some of our own fans have have reacted to it. And then the what's happened in the end, which is a group, a very dedicated group of volunteers have decided we're not going to do this anymore going forward, not only because of the criticism we've received, but the fact that the football club haven't been helpful over the last couple of years, whenever they've tried to do it. I mean, th- this display in particular, for instance, wasn't the original idea. They had planned to do an anti-Saudi a sports washing display in protest against what's happening at Newcastle and Sunderland FC decided that that wouldn't be on the table. They wouldn't allow it. So they had to change it to something which was club centric. Um, but that caused a lot of, a lot of caused a lot of issues for them coming away from it. Uh, but even in the build up to it, they've had problems constantly with the club and I think just everything's got too much for them. So what's your view on that? Oof. Well, I mean, where do you start? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean uh, I have to admit, when uh, going right back to the fundraiser, and at this point we didn't know what it was going to look like, what it was going to be, I have to admit it didn't quite sit right in December when you had the likes of the foundation and all of that sort of stuff pushing for Christmas, the Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen fundraisers and all this sort of stuff. And then you had an organisation which are all kind of volunteers and all fantastic that they do it, but then asking for people to dip in their pockets and raise, what was it? I don't know what the initial target was. I think the, the initial target was, what, 15 grand or 10 grand or something like that. Mm. Yeah. And I, I, it just didn't sit right at Christmas when, when you know, you've got all these fundraisers and you've got all these good causes and, and all this sort of stuff. And then having said that, the owner put his hand in his pocket and put 10 grand in, um, which I thought on one hand was good. But on the other hand, I thought, well, hang on a minute. Like, if the club are behind it, then the club just sort it out, you know, and help them out and just do it for them, you know. Yeah. I mean, what's the diff? If they're trying to raise fifteen grand, you know, why why stick ten grand in? Just just say, oh well, the club will cover it. You know, you might, you know, you've already covered 
two thirds of it. Why not yeah. just sort the rest out or half of it or whatever? You know, so that that, that didn't really make sense. But I mean, let, I want to caveat all this with saying that you know that all of those people who got involved in that and putting the flags out in the Roker end before the game and sort because some of those flags are, are brilliant that you know go around in the Roker end it looks great um for home games and all this sort of stuff and and it's fantastic this type of thing was a bit weird because if you go back to the playoff semi-final I, I mean that looked epic I mean it was fantastic you know but the club sorted that out so what I can't understand was you know the club sorting this out just saying right it's a big game let's do something we did something then Let's do something now. I, I didn't quite get why the club didn't didn't sort that out. But in terms of this one, it was just, yeah, it, it just all went wrong from the start. I don't get why the initial design was okayed by the club and then they were told they co- couldn't do it. I mean, was that the club saying okay and then the police saying, well, actually, that might cause us a problem and it might... Or, or the fact that the owner had put 10 grand in and oh, it was yeah. being used for that. You know exactly. That's the, yeah, that, but I suppose the club, that's the other issue, isn't it? If the it? club okayed it, yeah. If the club okayed it, I don't get that because surely, I mean, if we're going down this route, then we're talking about the communication within the the people who are at the top of the club being pretty awful. Well, if the owner yeah. hasn't told them he's he's put ten grand in, and then they've went, oh yeah, well we don't mind sticking a message out that that hammers our opponents' owners at the same time when you know he's probably sitting two seats along from him in the main stand. You know, what I mean. Because <laughs> you know if that's well, going to cause him that, a problem, that that wouldn't have bothered Bob Murray. It wouldn't, you know. It wouldn't. I, I, no, I just, no. I just think that it all, and we're going to get more into this because it's it's in the next set of questions. But it all feeds into the same sort of discussion point around how much do this ownership group actually get this football club, like at a deep level, at a at a an emotional, local, historical level, and what actually you know what a derby means and. You know, siding basically with your opposition over your own supporters. You know, you could spend a full podcast talking about this, but I just think that I just think that it all fed into the sort of narrative going into the game that Sunderland became a doormat for Newcastle. And okay, the original design might not have fit, um, or necessarily been been the right thing to do. Maybe I wouldn't have been taught if if they'd have done that. I would have thought great, but because they didn't, and it was a pro Sunderland display, that was okay with me. I just think that again, you just mentioned communication, and this isn't the first time the club have been hard for this group to communicate with. They should be making their lives very easy because what they're trying to do makes the club look great. You know, the club use the images on social media. They use it in in the advertising for the stuff that goes out for season ticket renewals. It's clearly viewed well by the football club when they do it. So, in my opinion, they should be making their lives really simple. But from what I've heard, it, it I mean, we're just skimming the surface here. I mean, if we could probably get one of the guys from that particular group on and they could explain in more detail the issues they've had. But I think the fact they've decided now to walk away, I mean, it, it reflects badly on the football club ultimately because you've got a group of volunteers putting a lot of effort yeah. in whether you agree with the way the the fundraised and all the rest of it, I, I would say to be honest with you, and and this is from a, a kind of selfish point of view, and it, it's also answering these and asking these questions, but I do agree when we're trying to fundraise in December for a local soup kitchen, it is, and people are totally welcome to spend their money on whatever they spend their money on. I don't begrudge yeah, yeah, them that. Yeah. It just you know you see seventeen grand worth of plastic getting thrown on the floor, 
um, after yeah. a couple of minutes and, you know, you think well, that money could have been used so much better. Maybe, you know, yeah. kind of looking at the, the owner of the football club and thinking, why why has he never dipped his hand in for the for the soup kitchen initiative? But he has this. Yeah, I, I you know, can't help but feel that way. But I, I think the, the lads behind it, they put so much graft in and effort in. And yeah, I, I, I think... I think the club need to work with these groups. And if, if this is the end for Spirit of 37 and the end for the displays, and I've heard that there might be some, you know, different people are going to be willing to take over the flags for big games and stuff, uh, but it might not be the same kind of level of what's going on. I just think that reflects badly on yeah. on the football club and again feeds into this narrative that the communication from the top down to the supporters is not good enough. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, Spirit of 37, brilliant organisation, you know, they've done brilliant in the past. I mean, with this, I don't understand why the communication isn't as simple as, right, we've got Newcastle in the Cup, we want to do something big, and the club go, right, tell us how much it's going to cost and what you want to do. And then they go backwards and forwards a couple of times where, you know, the club say, oh, well, we can we can maybe give you this much and, you know, it depends on what design you want to do. Go backwards and forwards a couple of times, get the communication right and sort it out between the club and the spirit of 37. And yeah. I don't understand why it wasn't that easy. I mean, you hear about, um, I mean, let's just take Newcastle for an example. I mean, war flags and all that sort of stuff. You hear how that's run and they're really close to the club and the club fund them and, the club give them this and that and the club help them to set stuff up. And it just seems like it's a complete opposite with us. And yeah. like I said, and, and if you're going to stick 10 grand in, like I said, what, what's, what's the point? Just pay for it. As in <laughs> just back, back the organization and just say, right, well you want to do something big or take it off their hands. Like they did for the playoff semifinal and said, we're going to do something fantastic. We'll sort it out or even get them on board. Say, do you want to help us? with the design or whatever, you know? I mean, I, I don't understand why the playoff semi-final got done as it did and this game had so much fuss about it. I, I don't get the difference. And mm. you're talking about communication, again, talking about like people at the top of the club, and it just seems like, because you're talking about, and again, we'll, we'll come on to the other big one, but it, it just seems like the people at the top aren't talking to each other and they're all making different decisions and having different views on it without actually talking to each other. Yeah. And then and then suddenly you've got an owner coming out saying, oh, we've made mistakes. Well, you know, and anyway, we'll, we'll get more into that because yeah. I'm, I'm sure we'll, we need to go into other stuff. Yeah, <laughs> let's move into that now. Um, the big one, the thing which made me more embarrassed of my football club than anything yeah, ever has, ever. You know, go. you know, <laughs> I, I was frothing at the mouth when I seen what had happened in the Black Cats bar. Everyone listening knows what I'm talking about. The signs which went up in the Black Cats bar, which has obviously formed part of the of the Newcastle away end for, for the derby, where they, somebody was allowed to go in there and change the signs around so that they, they went from Newcastle, uh, Sunderland to Newcastle, uh, changing the word Howie, Howie with, a Z, with an O in it. All these various things which fed again into the narrative that we made this very homely for Newcastle when it should have been an intimidating and, and you know, in my opinion, you, you should make it pretty miserable for them. You, you don't want your opposition, particularly your biggest hated rivals, turning up and having any advantage. But we made it very, very easy for them. And then when those photos em- emerged, it caused absolute hell on. And it's not just caused hell on. It's caused nearly every news major outlet, podcasts, Anybody involved in football to talk about it, national radio, all over the news on the TV, B 
because it was absolutely embarrassing. And Sunderland FC will never live that down. That you know that is going to be something which people will rightly hold against this owner for for as long as he's here. The the stuff we're seeing on the pitch, you know, I think under Kirillou Dreyfus has been pretty much mostly fantastic. I like everything about the way we're trying to run the club on the football side. I like the way we play football. I like the way we recruit. I've been quite clear on that for a long time. But off the pitch, it's undeniably a shit show. And this was that coming to a head. This was that showing everybody just how bad things actually are. Because if nobody in a real position of power knew that had happened, then that's a disgrace. It shows how mismanaged everything is. And I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll look at the questions now. They're all sort of around the same topic, but I'll read them out because people have been kind enough to send them in. Uh, John Ridley has said, when was the cutoff for criticising the hierarchy? Because some say you have to get over it and leave it be for now. Uh, Son Until I Die says, who should be held to account for the off-field issues? HJ has said, uh, can you talk about why we can't just brush over the disgrace of the Black Cats bar from last week? Don't let it be forgotten. Uh, Rob Ellison Davidson says, will the club learn or change anything regarding the off-the-field issues after the debacle of the FA Cup? Uh, Josh Hutchinson says, why has nothing been done over the Black Cat Spa fiasco? So a, r- a range of questions there, but all around this topic of what happened and what's going to happen next. Because I was, uh, you know, this happened two days before the game. I was fuming on the Thursday. On the Friday, I got into the headspace of, I'm still really fuming about this, but the game tomorrow is more important than talking about this. And I just think everybody needs to be focused on it. Whether all of that noise actually had an impact on the team on a day, we'll never know. But they will have been aware of it. Everybody was aware of it. So what do we do now? Because we've we were told in the club statement, and then more so in the statement which Kira Louis Dreyfus posted to Instagram, he appeared to be as shocked as the rest of us, which is telling in itself and quite worrying that he didn't know about this until the photos emerged. But um, what happens next? Because as far as I'm aware, we haven't heard about anybody's head rolling after this. I mean, like I said, it's highlighted what has been a big issue for a long time. Off the pitch, we aren't ran well. We aren't. So what has to happen next? Because as everybody asking the question has said, we can't let this lie. It's got to be dealt with. And I think I think the fans on this occasion deserve to know what happened and why it happened and who was responsible ultimately. Yeah, look, you've just you've just said the golden word there that I was going to say that it's why, why did we do that? And I, you know, from my point of view, I want to know whether this was a mistake, and someone just going, yeah, yeah, whatever, and just kind of giving someone the green light to do to do something ridiculous, or whether this was actually a thing during the negotiations with Newcastle about tickets, because. What, did this come down to money? Did did Newcastle as a club turn around and say, right, well, we get this end and right, there's going to be this bar. And New, uh, the, the sensible thing from Sunderland's point of view, I mean, let's just get this straight. The sensible thing from our point of view is to take all of the Sunderland stuff down because that's going to be ripped off or, you know, you know, whatever's going to happen, you know. You know, because you got loads of Newcastle fans in there, you know, having a few beers and all that sort of stuff. So the safe thing is, if there's any Sunderland stuff up, you might as well take it down. It's gonna, you're gonna have less mess and all that sort of stuff. But what was the decision to then replace that with Newcastle stuff? 
was that, like I said, was that Newcastle saying, actually, if we give you a few more quid, will you deck the bar out for us, for, for the fans? And then Sunderland going, oh, yeah, well, that's an easy, I don't know, 50 grand or whatever, whatever they chucked at us. I mean, was it was it a deal like that? Was it done like that? Or was it simply, or even worse, I mean, if it can get worse, was it us offering and saying, oh, yeah, do you want us to stick some Newcastle stuff up for you and make the fans well, do you know feel at home and all this sort of stuff? Do you know what I think probably what happened and what is just as bad is that we agreed to them changing the signs over, but we just weren't aware of what was on them. Or if we were, it was kind of just brushed mm-hmm. off. And actually, you know, yeah. and again, feeds into this narrative that off the pitch, there's not enough focus on the real things no. and that and that we just allowed it to happen. That that is it. Yeah. And 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 that's it. So when you get when when you're asking the questions why, then you come to, well, who? And was this done at, at some sort of meeting with them all sitting around a table? Was it done, you know, somebody just didn't read an email? I mean, where where in the chain did this go wrong? And it feeds into something we've talked about from the summer. And actually, I mean, we we took a bit of stick, to be honest, in the in the summer because I I was going on a lot about the emails we were getting in about tickets, people you know disabled tickets, people couldn't get an answer on uh, disabled parking because they couldn't get in touch with anybody at the club. Um, the shop was an absolute shambles. I was trying to get stuff for my lad's birthday in the middle of the summer. Couldn't get any of that. Tried to get some stuff at Christmas. Couldn't get any stuff then. Um, I mean, off the pitch, and I've said this, and, and like I said, we took a bit of stick because people were saying, stop banging on about that because we want to get on the field stuff. But if we're a shambles off the off the pitch in the what we might consider the small things, and then something like this happens. You realise actually what a mess it is yeah. because they're just not. I mean, how are they making decisions? I mean, is it is it just one fella giving a nod and going, "Yeah, that's fine," and nobody else knows? Because then, as soon as it gets out and somebody realises what the decision is, it's kind of we're pulling it all back in and realising what an absolute cock up we've made of it. Mm. I mean, it's. I mean, the, the whole thing, and the strange thing is for me, the communications from the club, right. This should be in two parts. When it comes to the playing staff and on the pitch stuff, I think we've got it spot on. We're very quiet. We do our business. We, we, we know what we're going to do. The club don't shout about it too much. They just crack on and they, they just get on with it. Now, the problem is they do that with off the pitch stuff as well, which should be the complete opposite. Like the club should be streaming full of communication all the time. This is what's happening. We're going to do this, you know, Make sure you're all right with this, you know, and, you know, we're going to change the tickets over. Make sure you're all right. But the club are just, the club are as quiet off the pitch as they are on it, which is an absolute disgrace. And, I mean, you're saying what happens next. I honestly think, from the club's point of view, that statement was it. As far as they're concerned, they're done. And that's it. It's end of story as far as the club are concerned. But it's not for everybody else because we're kind of thinking, well, that's not enough. Like this is this is bigger than that. This is bigger than sticking a, a bit of a statement out saying, "Yeah, we got it wrong," but blah blah blah. It's I I'd like some communication to say that not only they got it wrong there, but I'd like I'd like to go further in the club to say we're going to make big improvements off the pitch and we're going to make it in all areas. And but, you're but I want to see evidence this. of it. That's the main thing. Yeah, exactly. And and you're going to see this here, here, and here. 
because we're 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 actually doing something because it's been too long now. As you said, on the pitch you can see progress in two years or whatever how long however long it's been. And off the pitch, I'm not seeing anything. I mean, it's a, it's almost it's league it's League One standards. It's not, I think that's a I think that's an insult to League One clubs. I, it's not even non-league <laughs> standard, and you're la- we're laughing, Chris, but it really yeah. isn't that good. There are better run non-league clubs off the pitch. Yeah, it's it yeah. to me. It's such a massive football club. It's being run. You know, when when Donald Methan came in, there was a big play on cutting everything back because, in many respects, they had to certain things we had to cut back in. But we've been promoted. We're in our second season in the championship. We shouldn't be understaffed in any area of the football club now. We should be fully covered everywhere. And if there's a reason why that, that's not happening, then we need to know why. We need to know why the club in in every field really hasn't got enough people to make things sure like things like this are covered off. Like this 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 is just one of many issues, but it's really come to a head with this black cat's bar thing. Because in years gone by you would have had enough capable people in the football club who would not have allowed that to happen. And as soon as the signs had gone up, they would have been torn back down and someone had said, what? who's allowed this? And they certainly wouldn't have had fans wandering around the stadium on the day they were putting out the, the paraphernalia for the, for the display. They wouldn't have had fans wandering around the stadium in the executive boxes, in the Black Cats bar, and seeing this, because that's how it got out. The only reason we know about this is because Sunderland fans were in the stadium and had seen the, the signs line, line around and all the rest of it. That just yet again highlights how bad it actually is. And Kirill said in his statement that um, he would do whatever he, he could to put things right because it's clear that um, a lot needs to be changed. Now we have to see evidence. How long that... Ta- I mean, people are saying now, so, uh, how long do we wait to see evidence that change is being made? I mean, there's going to be a... I think in the next week or two, there's going to be a meeting between the supporter groups and and the club. I think it's the first one in a long time. And all of these things, the club are going to have been briefed on. on, on, on they know they're going to get asked about it. It's going to be very, very interesting because in previous meetings, Steve Davidson in particular, whenever a, a big issue has been raised, has, has went away and yeah. said, we're going to look into it. And then there's been yeah. no evidence of anything happening. Like he no. really has to start earning his cash. He might well be a Sunderland fan. He might well be, or claim to be one of us. But I tell you what it is, he needs to start justifying his position in the football club because he's been there long enough now and we need to see improvements. As a Sunderland fan, him as a Sunderland fan, Dave Jones, Leo Perlman, David Bruce even, who's not been here too long, but they're all Sunderland fans on the board. They must be and have to be absolutely disgusted at, at, at what's happened recently. And they're seeing all of these concerns that we're highlighting, that every fan's highlighting about everything that's going wrong on the off the pitch side on in the football club and change has to be made and it's not just with this it's right across the board because I agree with you fully on the pitch they've got it right largely and, and that's the next thing we're going to talk about off the pitch I think largely things have been done right we've made changes when we've had to make changes and the club's improved as a result recruitment wise we've been spot on in my opinion mostly I'm really happy with how we ran in terms of the football but it's getting to the point now where the off the pitch stuff it's clouding what happens on the pitch. I do worry that all of this, which went on on, on Thursday around the, the Black Cats bar and the hell on it caused and the embarrassment it caused, I do worry that that fed into what happened on the day of the game because, like I say, it, it gave Newcastle a psychological advantage going into that game. Their fans were lording it over us. 
that mm. we were we were being shamed and embarrassed for it in the media. All of the players and the coaching staff and and everybody around the football club will have felt that shame, and I'm sure it it had some bearing on the mood going into the game. It, it must have. And when stuff off the pitch is affecting what happens on it, you have to sort that out and nip it in the bud. And like I say, Kirill and the people at the very top of the club, we need to see evidence that you've actually done something about this. Not just with this, but every problem, which every fan, every podcast, every website, you know, every supporter in the pub and in the stands knows the club have issues with, with ticketing, with merchandise, with the general state of the facilities and the, the cleanliness and the upkeep of the facilities, the maintenance, this stuff, the communication between the club and the fans. And, yeah. you know, you've got one guy, poor Chris Waters, runs around doing everything. Honest, how he, how, how he still manages to turn up for work each day and have a smile on his face, Chris, he's amazing. They need more Chris Waters in that club. They, they need hundreds of them because yeah. one man cannot run around fixing everything like he does. He, I tell you what, he takes a lot of heat away from the club. The amount of things I pass to him, I get emails and messages from fans who can't get an answer from the ticket office or from anybody at the club who need help. As soon as I put them in touch with Chris, he fixes it. I tell you what, he's the only bloke at the club capable of doing that. And he deserves a bloody medal. But I tell you what, they need to find some help for him. They need to get it right through the club and they need to sort this shit out. Because I'm sick to death of talking about it, to be honest. But it's not help for him. It's basically say it's basically the club should be structured properly to yeah. be able to deal with this. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we talked in the summer about imagining if we'd actually got promotion to the Premier League with how we are off the pitch, it would have been an absolute disaster off the pitch if we had to try and cope with Premier League, you know, that that step up in terms of you know the the gears being on us and the the kind of everything that comes with that. I mean, it would have been an absolute disaster. Um, but I mean. One thing I wanted to just mention about um, talking about Kirill Louis-Dreyfus, it's interesting with his statement how I think it's almost unraveled throughout all of this how he kind of runs the club, that basically he sees it as, I mean, and it's not it's not kind of a wrong way of looking at it, but he sees it as I've put these people in place below me and basically they look after their area and I basically you know, delegate to them and trust them. But the problem with that is if you you haven't got competent people in those positions and it starts going wrong and you you don't hear about it because you're not involved enough and you never hear about it until something major goes off, that's when it starts going wrong because all of these things have been going wrong for a long, long time. But if he hasn't heard about it, he, it means he hasn't been able to act on it for so long that he just he's just clearly been going around thinking everything's great with the club off the pitch, everyone's happy. And maybe now, if he's looking into it personally, because it doesn't seem like he has until now, because I just think it's kind of head in the sand, everything's fine, and people are telling him everything's fine, that with a bit of luck, if he if he actually looks into it now, then he can either involve himself to make sure the decisions are right, or put better people in place below them in those areas to, to make sure it gets done properly. Because yeah, I mean it's it's been too long now. And like that that you've you've hit, hit hit the nail on the head with a frustrating thing is that when the fans have been raising this time and time and time again, the answer is it comes back saying, "Oh yeah, thanks for that. Yep, yeah, we'll, we'll do something about it." And nothing ever happens. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, moving on to some more positive talk, or at least the football talk. 
which is I actually enjoy talking about. Mm-hmm. I see, I just get sick talking about the crap off the pitch, and it does get kind of masked over when things are going right on it. But we, you know, it gets really frustrating. But anyways, into the transfer window, we've had a lot of questions around transfers and, and incomes and outgoings. <laughs> um, I think we'll probably start with the questions around incomings. You know, as a as a broad question, Alex at Spezial seventy three has asked. What is needed in the transfer window, both in terms of incomings and outgoings? Uh, Chris Day has asked us, are we going to invest the Ross Stewart money? If yes, where do we need it most? Uh, John Wilson has asked, a need for a centre-forward is well documented, but after watching the Derby match back, would you say a hard-tackling midfield general is more important? Other questions around incomings? Uh, Sunday FC Info, again, they've asked, uh, do we need to go against the model and sign experience this window if we want any chance of success. Uh, Niall at SAFC, Niall has said, what do you think the reason is that why we have only just decided to get an experienced striker in? Uh, and Custard Gravy has asked uh, us to talk about Kifa Mua, who's the, the high-profile name this week who's been linked with us. So a lot of questions around incomings and strikers and what's actually a priority in this window. Um, and, and ultimately will we invest money in this window? Because January is a notoriously difficult window. Clubs tend to only spend where they're desperate. But on deadline day in the summer, we sold Ross Stewart for a lot of money. And that money is still there. And that money is waiting to be invested in something. You can only presume it's going to be used on players and signings. So um, do you see us spending much in this window, Chris? And do you think it'll be on somebody like Kiefer Moore? Will we go out and spend big on a midfield general like John says? Or... Do you think it'll be a quiet month for us? Because as I've highlighted quite a bit recently, this is a big squad and I think they're going to have to make room before they, yeah. they bring people in, regardless of whether we, we need strengthening in certain positions. Yeah, we, we talked about this in the summer, didn't we? And I, I, I think Christian Speakman's got a very, I think he's got a very rigid kind of squad structure that he wants. You know, it's almost like if you if you draw the, the, the squad out and he wants... He wants the right numbers in each position, and he wants he wants someone who is maybe considered that little bit. I mean, when I say older, I'm talking about you know twenty two, you know twenty two, twenty three, <laughs> and then someone below them who's who's that little bit younger who you know if they get injured, suspended, or whatever, can step in and and maybe do do the business and and step up and all this sort of stuff. So I think he's got a very rigid structure that he wants as a squad in his mind, and I think. He's very careful not to get the squad too inflated, which I think is a good thing. I, I, I think, you know, if you inflate the squad with numbers and there's players who you've got who are just unhappy and can't get a move and are just hanging around the squad like a bad smell, you know, I, I don't think it helps anyone. So I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. But again, going back to the summer, one of the big things I said I kept banging the drum on at the end of the window is that I thought we were short in central midfield. And I thought that that was the only position I thought we were, we, we didn't kind of really reinforcing and having Ekwa and Dan Neal. I mean, I think at, at one point this season, we lost them both. I think um, at the same time yeah. overlapped like a week or something um, with suspensions or something like that. And when Ekwa was out, but yeah. Um, so I'm with you. I, I think we'll be seeing people either leave on loan before people come in, I'm not sure. I don't think January's a really weird month for permanent deals. So I'd be surprised if, you know, people are going on about, you know, and 
big name players. I'm I'd be surprised if a big name player went. I'd be surprised if people went for big money in this window. But yeah, it's I think we'll I think we'll we'll, we'll strengthen in one or two positions, centre midfield, possibly a full back, depending on how fit we think certain players are who are well, coming back. We've we've lost we've lost Cirque and we've lost Niall Huggins. Yeah. Uh, exactly. both long term injuries. Agiolise yeah. struggles for fitness. So yeah. You're looking at that. We've really we've got Agiolise, we've got Trey Hume, and then we've got sort of putting people like Seal out of position. It's not ideal. So I think you, you yeah. could be right on that. I mean, we've we were linked, and it's that's cool. I've not really heard much about it, but we were linked with a Ukrainian fullback last week, whose name I can't remember, but I think he played for Dynamo Zagreb, and the, there was talk he was going to be released on a free transfer, and he would come here for free. All of that makes sense, really, with us because. We don't really like to spend money if we can avoid it. And it's not a priority position. He would only be back up. He's Ukrainian. And we, we do seem to be acquiring quite a few Ukrainians. I know we've got Nazari Rusin in the first team, but there's obviously the two lads who uh, who are part of the under-21s team who are Ukrainian. So that's maybe a market we are trying to exploit. Uh, but I, I'm, a, I'm with you. I think fullback is the one position people aren't really talking about much where you know we can't rely on the fitness of Elise. We can't rely on the fitness of Sirkin. Huggins is out long term. It it could end up being a problem position. So the only place where I look and I think we could end up being short, yeah. So that is one, yeah. But I mean, central midfield, to me, I I agree with you. I think I think we we looked at that one in the summer and we thought maybe Matetti would return sooner than he did. He's only just came back and there's been there's been a rumour he's going back to Plymouth. Uh, that could mm. potentially happen before the end of the window. I can see that happening. He, get, he isn't going to get a look in here. He's never been fit. I don't know. And, and, and Corey Evans has had a bad injury and he's, and he's older. Yeah. And it's like, if he comes back, great. But when's he coming back? What shape's he going to be in? How much is he actually going to be able to contribute? And then you look at the at the form of Pierre Equire. Since we got him back from injury, I think we, we've, had a, we've actually had a question about this from somebody about Pierre Equire further down. I might as well read it out. Uh, Shane Hagen said, why does Pierre Equa seem to have 10-minute naps in every game he plays? Now, where's our ball-playing enforcer gone? That is a real concern that his form has tailed off and he's got no real competition for his place. So, you know, centre-mid, full-back, yeah. and then, obviously, up front, a lot of people are talking about the striker situation. Um, we have four through the door, but only one of them seems to be any good, and even then, he's barely been used. So people are going to be looking at centre-forwards but the problem with centre forwards is, and the particularly ones ready to play in the championship who score goals, everybody wants one, and they don't grow on trees, and we aren't going to spend big money to get them in. So, yeah, th- those are probably the three positions everyone's looking at. But it's whether we actually get what we need, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. I mean, like you said, the the big question marks. You've got big question marks at fullback because um, you've got Pembele, who uh, I can't remember who it was against, but there was a there's an under twenty ones game before. Uh, before Christmas, where Arsenal, he looked the was. business, yeah. yeah, but he looked he looked the business. But you know he's had he's had massive injury problems. Who knows? He might just break down again. You've mm. said that about Elise. Trey Hume, you know the way he goes into tackles, you just know at some point he's going to be suspended at the very least, um, if not picking up an injury. So you've only got three kind of recognised fullbacks there. Two of them, yeah put your hat on that they're going to get injured so I think we need another one at fullback I think we definitely need one in midfield the Pierre Equa 10 minute nap I mean it's interesting isn't it because every time Tony Mowbray talked about him he talked about Equa's attitude and 
it's part of the reason we, we all love him because he's that type of fella. He's got that type of attitude where it's, you know, laid it is back. a bit, yeah, it's very laid back. And he's, um, but the, the, the thing is as well, I mean, the question was talking about being a ball playing enforcer, but Egwa's never been that. Egwa is a, what he, what he does best is read the game and he, he steps in and picks off passes. So half the time, Egwa isn't that one who goes in with a, sm like, you know, to smash someone in a tackle and win the ball. Egwa is that person who reads the game and nicks the ball off someone and gets us up the pitch. But since his injury, he needed to be brought back slower than he did. But the problem was, and going back to the summer, we didn't get anybody else who could step in. So the minute Egwa was ready for first team football, he was put back in. And at his age, we just we shouldn't be doing that, you know. That, that mm. with these players coming back from injury, I mean, it's all well and good. It's great, you know, getting these players young and all this sort of stuff. But the problem is, if you don't back them up, you're rushing them back from injury. And when they're young, they keep recurring and and all that sort of stuff. And you know, so he's never been quite right since he came back from injury. The striker position is a strange one because, as you said, we brought four in, so. What do you do now? Right. What do you do with the other players you've brought in? So you've got uh you've got Rusin who I think he's looked all right. Yeah, um, agree. Yeah. But he hasn't look he doesn't look fantastic. He's not gonna kind of blow sides away. He doesn't seem like he can he doesn't look like a 15, 20 goal a season striker, put it that way. I think he's more of a you know, he's more of a link player, I think. Yeah, than a, than a grafter, somebody to lead the press, yeah. someone I think yeah. mine, mine, because I do think he'll score goals. I think, I think we saw the hint of that against Preston. I just don't think he, I agree with you. He's not fifteen, twenty goals season striker, no. but I don't actually think that's what we're lacking. I think we're just lacking somebody who's a presence, a nuisance, a link up player, but someone who might get you ten, fifteen if you're lucky. Uh, I would be happy with that, to be honest. It, yeah. It's more about what they contribute to the team. We we saw we saw plenty of times with strikers. They just stand up there and do. Now, Charlie White got 31 goals and people weren't bothered that he left because that is literally all he contributed to the team was goals. And, and people then were saying, we want somebody who does a bit more, who gets involved. We were lucky with Ross Stewart. We got someone who did both. We got someone who grafts and also scores goals. But those players don't grow on trees. I mean, just to come back to the link with Kiefer Moore, does that make sense to you? I know he's completely out of the age bracket of player we would traditionally sign, but we don't have an experienced centre-forward who's scored goals in the championship. He's available. Um, he's, he's different to what we've got. He's a target man. He does score goals, as I've said. Does that make sense to you? Or is it just a case of he's the best of what's available, what's financially viable? Because I'll be honest, when I sit and try and wrap my brains about who's out there who makes sense, there just aren't them options. I, I can't think of many. I think if Kiefer Moore's available, which I imagine he is, there will be lots of clubs in the championship trying to sign him. It'll not just be us. Um, yeah. But he is very different to what we've got, isn't he? He is, yeah. I mean, he it, it is. I, I just, I, I'm just not sure because it's how you're communicating it to the players you've got as well because you've brought a, you've brought those three strikers in and then you can throw Burstow in as a fourth. And then you're basically saying, because you, you're, gonna, you're not going to play two up front, so you're going to play one up top. And then you're saying, right, well, actually, we've given up on these three players, or at least we've given up on them till next season. And that's kind of what you're telling them. And like I say, Rusin hasn't had that many games because he, he didn't come in till late and then he had that injury and he wasn't fit. 
So what you know, it's it's about taking that risk. Are you gonna are you gonna say right? Well, we are gonna bring that one person in, and they're gonna lead the line for the rest of the season, and these three lads are gonna have a bit more time to settle in. Or are you going to say nope? We've got four strikers. We're confident that you know they're gonna settle in, and they're all good players, and we're gonna we're gonna stick with them, and we kind of ro- either rotate them out or Rusen gets a run in the side or, or whatever. And whatever we do, it'll be a clear signal to everybody as well on what the club actually think they did as business in the summer in terms of those strikers. Because like I said, if we if we go out and get someone now, it's almost like the club saying, well, actually those those three or well, four, again, if you include Burst or the loan signing, those four weren't good enough. And it's a strange thing to do if they're going to do that. And if they're going to do that, I can see it being someone like Kiefer Moore rather than another signing who's, you know, let's say a 21-year-old, a 22-year-old that was going to spend, you know, three million on something like that. Because we've we've kind of already done that with these players we've already brought in. So I can't see us repeating the same thing. I'd imagine that if we're going to do something like that, my guess would be that it would be someone in the Kiefer Moore bracket but on loan till the end of the season. Yeah, yeah. I, I think with him as well, you're talking about we, we're not going to play two up front, but that might be because we don't have another striker like him. So you would you would traditionally pair your your target man, your, your hit, the person you can go along to and, and your out ball, you would traditionally pair <laughs> How far him are you with, going back? Yeah, well, you know, you would traditionally pair that type of striker with with someone a little yeah. bit more mobile and smaller. And, that, you know, Rusin, yeah. I think, would look quite good with somebody like that. But then you're talking about changing the entire shape of the team, going to a wing-back yeah. system, maybe. Um, but it, it at least gives you that option. If you're losing a game and you want to go to up front, you've got that option now. Whereas I think with what we've got, we can't really do that because Burstow tries to play like a target man, but isn't one. In terms of the players we brought in in the summer, I've come to think now, mainly in the case of Hermia and Mayenda, as you look at the length of the deals they were given, given in their age, that they they aren't viewed as players for now. They're, they're viewed for players for eighteen months, two years maybe, and that you know maybe haven't seen a lot more of them. They've they've went right. We need to work harder with these players in the training ground before they're actually ready. So the the part of the problem there is, is that the club moves past that and and they're just never going to be good enough. I mean, there's no doubt we need something up front. I know you you said we need someone. Perhaps we, we perhaps need someone like if I'm in that bracket of a player we can bring in till the end of the season. But I look around and I'm just not sure that there's many players like that available. Yeah. I think if he's available, no, if he's available, that's the one position where we don't have experience and I wouldn't be against it. It might just be paper talk, but it is a natural link to make because there aren't many. You ask anybody, you say, name five strikers who are attainable, who would make a difference right away. He'd be in there. I couldn't name many more. And I know there's, they're obviously looking further afield than that. Mm. But actually, what we probably do need is a bit of championship experience up front for the rest of the players' sake, not just ours. And I don't believe there's many of that type out there yeah. waiting for clubs at the minute. Yeah, I mean, I, I, could, I mean, nobody nobody could argue that we, we, don't, we don't need something. But again, it's what do you want to kind of get out of this season with those, with those players? Do you just want to, like you said, do you just want to bail on them and say, well... We'll we'll start again in the summer with with the likes of Mayenda and Hamia and well if you bring someone in you're kind of saying that to Rusin but Rusin's you know twenty five year old 
But in terms of the Kiefer Moore thing or somebody in that that mould, I think if you're going to bring someone in like that, you're going to have to change the way we play completely. I mean, the whole style of play at the minute, I mean, I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing. I'm not, I'm not saying we shouldn't. All I'm saying is because of the way we play out from the back and we play we play football and get it wide. We don't we don't get early crosses in. We don't put the ball into the box. We cut we have a we have wide men who come inside and keep playing football with with whoever's available, you know, <laughs> when they cut inside. And whether quite often like Sir Patrick Roberts and Jack Clark take take it on themselves to take a shot, whether that's their issue or whether it's the striker's issue because they're not in, in a decent position. I'm not quite sure, but we don't get balls into the box. We don't we don't knock the ball forward long and hit it direct to a front man who holds it off and lays it off. We don't play with a target man who flicks it on. So if we bring in someone like that who is expected to do that job, then we're going to completely change the, the style of play. But if you look at the way we're trying to structure the club through the age groups, we're trying to get a style of play that, that Sunderland is known for and that it's not just it's not just the first team it's it runs through the club and that's how we play so I just can't I just can't see it I can't see Speakman going out and saying all right for, for the rest of the season we'll play with the target man we'll change the way we're playing and then and then Beale kind of agreeing to that and saying yeah we'll we'll just we'll start again in the summer it's it just doesn't make sense that that they'll do that mm. And and for me, I I think the, the the ideal situation is is if we can get if we can get a striker who can really fit in with our play, and I'm sure that's what Speakman's looking at. I don't think they'll I don't think they'll go out. You're talking about Kiefer Moore because that's the only person who we can really think of, and he's kind of been half linked, or there's been some rumor somewhere. But I I, I just can't see it. I I just think they'll go out and think who's going to fit in with how we're playing and doesn't change and can fit with what we're already doing. And mm. I, I just don't, I'm not sure, you know, for the rights and wrongs of Kiefer Moore, I'm not saying he's a, he's a bad player. He's a good player, but I just, I just can't see it. I can't see us going out and getting someone like that. Well, it's going to be interesting because we need to, we, we do need to sign somebody and, you know, more players become available as the window goes on. And it's very early in the window, particularly in January. I mean, ja- yeah, it's all done I've, I've, I've already said it, but January is just such a, it's it's yeah. it's really a window for clubs who are panicking, maybe you know struggling to push for top two when they should be in there and they're not, or clubs who are looking like they're going to get relegated and they need another option. You know, it's more for those type of clubs. Really, the January window. I I actually think if if you ignore the bluster around the club, we're pretty stable. We're only talking about a couple of positions here, really three positions where we we actually need people. You look at the squad. All right, you can go into every player and say well, I don't think he's good enough yet or I don't think he's right or I think we should sell him. But on paper, we've got a lot of players. You mentioned that Arsenal game Pembele played in earlier. I was at that match. We had a full 11 of players on the pitch who hadn't played in the game before and then a full bench. Well, four players on the bench. Jewison Bennett was meant to be on there but wasn't. But, you know, that would have been a full bench of five and a full team of players who hadn't played in the game before. That's a lot of players not playing football. And... We do have to think about the outgoings, which is what I'm going to move on to now. I mean, the most high-profile link we've had so far in January is Jack Clark. He's the best winger in the championship. Everybody knows it. He's he's had a fantastic season so far. He's scored lots of goals, and 
you know, at his age, given his ability, teams in the league above are going to be looking at him. I've got no doubt about that. He was constantly linked with Burnley in the summer and that never came off. Um, the rumour now is that West Ham want him. They're going through a mini crisis at the minute. They've got players away on international duty for over a month. They've got players out injured. They probably already needed a wide player. And in, and all of their issues, which have came about in recent days with injuries and stuff, has only exacerbated that. Jack Clark to West Ham? Can you see that happening? Because I think with any player leaving the club now, it, the deal has to make sense for us. And there's been a bit of a narrative that we're just going to sell anybody who's worth any money. But the evidence is quite the opposite. Ross Stewart's the only player we've sold under this ownership for decent money. And that has turned out to be the right thing. I mean, they didn't know he was going to break down again, but we sold we sold an injured player for a lot of money and he's the only player who's gone out of the door so far. But now there's talk of our best players being courted by top teams, which will happen. Jack Clark's the one now because he's, he's high profile. We've also seen links for Dan Neal going elsewhere. But what's it going to take for, for any club to take Jack Clark off us this, this window? Because if he left, there would be no... I, 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 we could replace him in the summer, I'm sure, but it would be very, very difficult to replace him adequately in January, wouldn't it? Yeah, and uh, I mean, my my worry, is, you know, especially after the Ross Stewart transfer, is that sometimes it's not necessarily the club's decision. <laughs> yeah. And you can say, you can say, yes, or, well, the club get the final say, but the problem is if West Ham do come with a solid offer, and his agent starts talking to to Jack Clark, you know, tapping him up and all this sort of stuff. And Jack Clark fancies it. I think that's it. I, I, I just think after that, it's about us getting the best price we can because you can't, I think in this, you know, I think in the modern game, I, I just don't think you can keep players at your club who have had their head turned. And if they're gone, if their heads are gone, and if he's at West Ham, if it, his head's at West Ham, then I just think that's it. Um, so it depends where Jack Clark is in in his personal life, uh, how he's enjoying his football. Is he frustrated at the minute because actually we're a, we're relying a bit too much on him? And he's does he like that? Is he does he like being in that position? Does he feel the weight of the pressure on? Because I think where we are has a lot to do with Jack Clark's form this season. Has a hell of a lot to do with Jack Clark's yeah, yeah. form this season because mm-hmm. he's pretty much the only one scoring. So it depends where he's at. I mean, if he's loving that and he's thinking, God, you know, I'm carrying kind of this massive club and I'm loving it and I'm enjoying my football and I'm enjoying coming on the training ground every day. Is he enjoying that training? Is he, you know, is is the changeover of manager been okay? Because like I said, I just think if he's not in a good place in any in any of those areas and West Ham come in with that offer and his agent starts talking big money, I think that that's it. And then from the club's point of view, because you've then got the Ross Stewart money burning a hole in their pocket, plus, let's say, for example, just to stick a figure out there, 20, 25 million for Jack Clark, or maybe more, or whatever, then if you've got all of that money, then realistically, by the end of January, there's going to be a big expectation that you've signed two big players. You've signed a a major kind of striker who can get your goals, and you've spent decent money on him, and you've got a really good wide player to replace Jack Clark because you can't then put all your eggs in one basket and rely on one player to hit the ground running and replace Jack Clark because he's the only one scoring at the minute. 
Yeah, yeah, and I think it's it's going to have to be a big offer to test our resolve ultimately. I, I do think that the club have been quite good because you think about the contracts we've extended this season. A lot of those young players who are going to court attention have signed contract extensions and the club have been able to tie them down for longer term. So in the past, we where we've looked vulnerable in such situations where good players have been courted, uh, it doesn't happen very often, but we've often looked vulnerable in that situation. It feels almost like we're, we're, we're pretty prepared for these things happening. I mean, Clark only signed a five-year deal or whatever it was, four and a half year, five-year deal. I can't remember what it was now, but that wasn't too long ago. He's still got quite a lot of time on that deal. I'm sure he thinks he's worth a lot more. The club have a wage structure that they're determined to stick to at the minute. If Clark wants to earn more money, he probably is going to have to leave. But the deal has to be right for us. Like if he goes, it's going to have to be a lot of money. It's going to have to be more than we think he's worth. You know, Burnley kept trying to test us with derogatory offers in the summer. You know, we were offering £10 million from him in the summer and it, uh, we were never well, going to accept that. West Ham are different to Burnley yeah. though in terms of turning his head. Well, yeah, because they're obviously there. They're at, at the minute, I think they're in the top six in the Premier League. They've just won a European Cup. Moyes has a good record. Unfortunately, you know, whatever we want to say, he's had a good time at West Ham in this spell and he's got a good record with particularly British players. We laughed at him for that. Britishness comment back when he was our manager um, but you've only got to look at the likes of Jared Bowen and Mikhail Antonio and you know, all these players who are British British, British based players who've always kind of played in, in, in the English leagues he's got a good record with them and I think that would be a hell of a move for him particularly with all the sort of injury issues they've got and, um, and just the fact they've not got a massive squad I think it would be a hell of a move for him but the deal's got to be right for us he, they can turn his head as much as they want I know his agents, Ian Hart, he's a bit of a gobshite on social media and certainly adds fuel to the fire. And I'm sure he's in talks with many journalists who like to put these yeah. stories out during the transfer window. So what you yeah. what you read and what's the truth might be far apart. I didn't always believe everything that was written about him in the summer. But at the same time, I think the deal, whoever it is, whether it's Jack Clark, whether it's Dan Neal, whether it's Dan Ballard, you know, Pierre Etwa, whoever it is, whatever the, the offer is, has to be to our liking. It has to be a big offer for which we look at it and we go, can we really afford to turn this down? You know, with, with someone like Clark, I think we've unearthed a gem. When you see some of the money being spent on players in the top flight, he's at least worth 30 million, at least. And I say that because I look at some of the money spent on players at that level who, you know, clubs are chucking about willy-nilly. 30 million's nothing anymore, really. So, you know, yes, he hasn't got that much top flight experience. I don't even think he played for Spurs or if he did, it was sparingly as a sub or whatever. Um, but like he's developed a lot in that time and he, he's going to be a Premier League player. In the next 18 months, he will be in the Premier League. It's a question of who's going to offer enough money to take him off us. And when that day comes, we need to have a plan. And I'm, uh, to be honest, we talked all about the off the pitch issues. I'm sure the club have got a plan for when he leaves. They're not thick. They know it's coming. They know big money offers bound to be tabled at some point if it isn't in January it's going to be in the summer when he scored another 10 goals or whatever it is um, and they've got to be primed for that it's just a lot easier to replace him so it's not only about what the money is but it's also about if we sell him to West Ham are we going to bring somebody incapable of replacing him because at the minute we've got nobody in the club playing his position who's as good as him or even showing signs of being as good as him we've never seen Jewison and Bennett and he's really the only left winger we've got so mm. It all has to be right for us, whoever we sell. People are going to sit sit and say, well, the club are unambitious. They're not going to match the ambition of the player. 
They're not going to pay him what he's worth. We can pay him whatever we want, but we can't offer him top yeah. six European football in the Premier yeah. League at this minute. And sometimes players just outgrow you. And I suspect at some point that'll happen with Dan Neal too. I suspect at some point that'll happen with Dan Ballard. It is the uncomfortable truth about being a championship club with good players. Unfortunately, at some point, somebody better is going to come along and make make this player a lot more money and give them a better offer and better prospects. And when that happens, you have to be ready for it and you also have to stay strong and rinse them for as much money as you can. So that's me worry is that West Ham are a little bit desperate with what they've got going on, with players being missing, and that they will offer us a lot of money that we can't turn down. And, you know, it's just about how we how we sort of react to that, isn't it? And how, how we, we get around that. But I, I'm sure it'll come at some point. There's gonna yeah. there's gonna bound to be an offer this month, isn't there? That that makes us think. Of course there is. But but the but the thing is you know, what you've just rattled off there is a direct consequence of our recruitment. You know, we've brought these players in and they are fantastic players and we expect them to to kick on and they have done well at the club. And the fact that we're worried about losing, you know, we're, we're look, you can look through the squad and say, well, you know, we expect offers for two, three, four players. And that that's a, that's a consequence of how good the recruitment's been. You know, if the recruitment was crap, you know, we wouldn't be worried about these young players kind of getting offers for them and all this sort of stuff. So, so yeah, it, you know, if you're going to bring in good players and they're going to do well and you're in the championship, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, very quickly, other outgoings. I know that Alex at Spezial 73 did ask us about what we think is needed to happen or what will happen in terms of outgoings. Um, off the top of my head, looking at the squad list, I could possibly see, well, Zach Johnson maybe going back out. You know, he's just came back from, from Hartlepool. He's very highly rated England Youth International needs to get playing games possibly in league 2 um you know he's pl- just been playing in the in the national league with Hartlepool and I think he picked up an injury so it'd be good to get him back out on loan cuz he's better off playing that 19 year old Embleton we don't know how bad his injury is but rather weirdly that got announced by the club that he'd officially returned from derby uh, on loan yeah. even though he's been back here for a long time cuz he got injured quite a while ago um, yeah, it's just the end, yeah. yeah. Just the official end of his loan, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, Jamie Tetty, as I mentioned before, expected to go back out. He's not got anywhere near the team and he's not been fit. Um, I think there's something there with Matetti, but he's probably better off going and playing games. He's 22, coming up 23 in February next year. and uh, This year, sorry. So he's going to want to go and play games. Outside chance of Chris Rigg maybe going out on loan. I don't know, with him being 16. Nah. Possibly kept yeah. around, but um, yeah, the, you know, if if a good maybe you know someone like a Portsmouth at the top of League One who were after a, a number ten, I was reading earlier on, if if somebody like that who's at the top end of League One, a bit like what we we did with Matetti last year, we we're we're, yeah. we're in for him and maybe said, look, you know, their manager's got a good track record with youth players, perhaps it's an outside chance, but I can't see it. Ah, he's a he's a he's a bit young for that. Yeah, Bradley Dax being linked with Wrexham, I can see yeah, that I happening actually. Go. I think we've got yeah, a lot of number 10s and if, if there's somebody willing to pay money for him or at least buy him out of his contract because we've got to write that one off. He was a Mowbray signing who he's never been fit. He's never looked good when he's played. If we can get Birmingham. rid of him, then get rid of him, I would say. The only thing with Birmingham, Birmingham for the rest of the season. <laughs> they've actually got a good number 10. I think I think at Birmingham they've got some good good players in those positions, but you never know. You know, he might he might be uh, Mowbray's Paddy Kenny in turn, you know, Paddy Kenny the way he used to yeah. follow <laughs> Warnock around. Um, other than that, I think they'll keep Mayenda and Hamir about, just get them up to speed ready for next year, even and occasionally coming off the bench when we need them and things like that. 
Ellis Taylor, I think, needs to leave. Coming up 21-year-old. Went to Hartlepool last year and got sent back. Has actually had a canny season with the 21s, hasn't he? He's been scoring goals. Playing left-back mainly and right-back. Um, but I just think he needs to go and play somewhere. He's not going to make it at Sunderland. Uh, Jewison Bennett has been vocal, I think, um, in, in the fact he wants to be playing games. And he was... I mean, I alluded to it before, but he was supposed to play in that under-21s game. This might be new info for people, but I don't mind sharing it. He wasn't happy with being on the bench in that game and then ended up not playing at all. He wasn't even part of the bench. Ended up sitting in the stands. He was stood not far, sat not far from me and then left very early. And uh, I think he was rewarded with a place on the bench for one of the games recently. Beal mentioned it, saying he'd been working hard in training. But then the day of the derby, stuck something on Instagram. He was in Costa Rica again. So, I don't know what's going on with Dewey. I think, given he's a full international and he's 19, he wants to be playing football and you can't blame him for that. Jack Clark's ahead of him and he's not going to get games here. It's clearly, maybe they don't rate him, I don't know, but I think he'll be loaned out. Obviously, Jack Diamond's now back with the club. We've got to talk about him because he's been away for a while. Obviously, he's been through some issues off the pitch, but that's all been all been cleared up and he's going to be looking for a club. 23-year-old, he's not going to get anywhere near our first team. He needs to go. No. Nope. Um, other than that, I don't know if there's anything you disagree with necessarily there, if there's anybody else off the top of your head that might leave, but I think no. that about covers it, doesn't it, really? You can see quite a lot yeah. of these players go... I mentioned the, the, the bulk of the squad there. I, I, you know, I, I flirted with the idea with a couple, but if I count these out, Zach Johnson, I think, will leave on loan. Matete going permanently, perhaps. Bradley Dack going permanently, Ellis Taylor, Jewison Bennett. I think there are going to be quite a lot of players leaving, which will might not make a great deal of wriggle room on the wage bill, but it will make room in the squad, won't it? Seven players, yeah. a lot of them being attacking players. and and, and So I think it's going to make room naturally, and that's what we need, I think. Maybe, maybe just sort of concentrate the squad and bring in quality rather than numbers. Uh, I think that's possibly what's needed, isn't it? Yeah, I just see quite a few loan players going out and trying to trim the squad. I don't see anything major going out un- yeah. unless unless something ridiculous happens. So yeah, I, yep. I can't I can't see. Um, it's good. It is going to be interesting with the likes of uh, Jewison and Bennett, Hamia, some of those people. See if with the club think they need games elsewhere. But um, other than that, yeah, I think um, it's going to be no brainers. Yeah, we'll rattle through some of the rest of these questions, mate. We've been going on a while, but we've got quite a lot left to cover. So. We'll, we'll we'll try and move along. The manager is the next topic. We've got a few questions on Michael Beale. We all know he wasn't a popular appointment. We've had a question from Niall at SCFC Niall who's asked, why did we still appoint Beale even after a backlash? Uh, Son Until I Die at 1973 Matham has said, how long should Beale be given before he can be fairly judged? A lot of people still not having him. I think he, he's had a poor first game against Coventry. No one can get around that. How much of that you pin on him, I don't know. He'd been in the door a matter of days, really. Then followed that up with a draw at Rotherham, play, uh, beat Hull, uh, beat Preston. So the draw at Rotherham was a poor performance, but all things considered, we were getting beaten that game and didn't play well, and we came away with a point. Went away to Hull and Preston, who were both fighting for the playoffs and picked up three points in both those games. Sorry, Preston was at the Stadium of Light. But two clean sheets, two wins against teams near us in the table. And then obviously the derby, which we've already talked about. A decent enough start, I guess, given the fanfare or the, or the lack of fanfare, I should say, about his appointment. <laughs> um, but like I say, at 1973, Macram has said, how long should he be given before he can be fairly judged? What do you think? 
Uh, well, I mean, every I remember everyone talking about last season about Tony Mowbray and seeing that with the striker situation and all this sort of stuff. Then you know, let let Tony Mowbray get to the end of the season, see how he does, all this sort of stuff. And I, and I think the same thing this season. I mean, you can't you can't judge him off three or four games and all this sort of stuff. And I think at the minute, what Bale's done is kind of carry on where we were. I think we were patchy. We were patchy before. Um, we made the managerial change and we've been patchy since. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's, I, I don't think that much has changed. And I don't think you can expect a manager to put his stamp on things within the first few weeks, especially over Christmas, where, you know, his first game was the 23rd, when, like you said, I think he'd been appointed a couple of days before that. And then you've got what? Then you've got a game on the 26th, you've game, got a game on the 29th. And then you've got a game on the first and then, you know, that's the Monday. And then on the following Saturday, you've got a massive derby against Newcastle. So I think now that we're out of that crazy festive season where all the games are coming within a couple of days of each other, I think now, you know, you'll start seeing the games, you know, we've got, we're going to have till the Friday after, then the, the Saturday after that. So we've now got breaks between games for the rest of this month, which... Hope you know, then you might see little tweaks and little changes. So we'll, we'll see. But like I said, I, at the minute, I I almost think because the games have come thick and fast, I would imagine that Bale has relied a lot on Dodds and Michael Proctor and the backroom staff to carry things on as much as possible because he, there's no way he can come in and, and change things when the games are coming along every two days. No, I mean, you look at it, we kept two clean sheets against two decent teams. I mentioned that before. Yeah. I think I think those are good results. Going to Hull and beating them, yeah. they're going to be right up there. Preston, you know, maybe flattened out a little bit after a great start, but that's still... They, I think they were only two points behind us going into that game. So those were good wins. The, the point away yeah. at Rotherham, as I said, it was a rubbish performance. I was there. I stood and watched it. It was terrible. But, you know, after that game, and I, I did say, you know, at least he changed things during the game. It didn't work, and he put a he put Pembelli on the right to give us width. He put Pritchard on to give us a point at the top of the midfield. He put Burstow on, who occupied the defenders. There was more balance to the team, and then we got a goal back. And had the game gone on another maybe five ten minutes, I think we would have won. It was going in our favour. We just didn't have enough in the end. So in the, it wasn't a good result. But when you say we were getting beat one nil and we were playing so poorly to come away with a with a draw, what wasn't too bad. And then to follow that up with the win against Preston, which I thought was a good performance, you know, that was a good result. You, you, the, the derby, in, one, in, in a lot of senses, you, it's a cup game. It's against a team much higher placed than us. It's a massive occasion. Yes, we failed. Yes, I don't think you got the tactics right. But ultimately, it doesn't. the game itself doesn't really have a massive bearing on no, what happens in the league. So I think, I think when... We're asked the question by Son Until I Die at 1973 Matram about how long should he be given before he can be fairly judged. I, I, I think we're going to have a better idea coming out of the transfer window what he's really like. Ipswich away is going to be hard. I know they've not been in great form, but it's a good team who've won a lot of games at home, not just this season, but last year. That you know They're a brilliant team at Portman Road. You've got Hull at home. We've just beat Hull. Yes, they've you know they're a good team. They're up there. Uh, they've just signed a good player in Fabio Carvalho, who I think anyone in the championship would have took. You've then got Stoke, who are under a, a sort of mini resurgence. Now they've sacked Alex Neal and replaced him. Um, and then you've got Middlesbrough on the 4th of February. 
away a team who we traditionally don't fare well against. I think after that, you're probably looking at it a bit more fairly as to see what his actual impact is. But longer term, the club are going to take a longer term view on it. Of course they are. Because, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, no. I think what our fans think, and particularly those who weren't a fan of the appointment, and what Speakman and the club think are entirely different things. Because I think it was said in the statement when he was announced about his long-term impact on the coaching and the just everything... That, that was what he was being appointed for, ultimately. They did say, I think Speakman was asked directly, wasn't he, about whether this was a, whether Mowbray was sacked and replaced for any particular reason, and he said it's a results business and and that sort of thing. I mean, if results tail off, there's going to be no way to, to ignore that. But I think if they carry on in the way that they are at the minute, which, you know, a couple of wins, a draw, and a loss in the league, if we carry that sort of form through the season, we're going to be around the playoffs, and that'll be okay. You're not going to see the long-term impact of Michael Beale, in my opinion, till after the end of this season. Whether he gets that long, I don't know. In terms of when we can actually judge him, right. I don't know. I, I think after after Borough, you'll have a better idea of what he's done, but I don't think it's a fair time to judge him. It's good. It's a really weird one. Right? Actually, I don't know about what you think, Chris. I, I know when, when we did the pod after he was appointed, you said, why not? You said, why not? Appoint? Yeah. You, you were one of the only people I've heard say that. In terms of, you know, give it a go. See, it can't be much worse than, than losing all the time as we were in that run towards the end with Mowbray. You said, why not? Are you still of that mind? Are you still sort of yeah, kind of in that zone? Yeah, I, I, I didn't mind the change out at all. I mean, I, you know, he, he wouldn't have been, I think, you know, when we talked last, he wouldn't have been at the top of my list. But at the same time, I thought, what we're trying to do, he seems to fit the bill. He's got... Like I said, he's got a decent record as a coach and that's primarily what he's been brought in for and he's got a coaching team that he's the head of. So, yeah, we'll, we'll just see how it goes. And I'm just thinking that, you know, we're talking about how how long can he be fairly judged. I mean, look, if if it goes down the pan and we just, we lose, <laughs> we lose kind of six, seven or whatever off the bounce or something like that, then questions can be asked. But at the same time, like I said, I, I just think things have carried on at the minute, as as they were, I don't think he's put his stamp on. I don't think he's anywhere near to put his stamp on that team because the games have just come too quickly. And I think the the very first question, in theory, should be asked in the summer. Just saying, right, well, you've you had what um, six months of the season or whatever it is. How did you do? And let's have a look at where we are. Then, did we make the playoffs? And if you look at the championship as well, I mean, it's. It is. We we again. We talked about this last time, where you could almost say the top four already decided, and then you've got. I mean, probably more than half the table. I mean, you could probably <laughs> go down. We talked about playing Preston, so you go from West Brom in fifth down to maybe Preston in fourteenth, and then you wouldn't be surprised below that the likes of Millwall, Blackburn, you know, somebody putting a run together to to break into that pack again. So then you've got. You've got all of those clubs from, like I said, from West Brom down to Preston in 14th, you know, playing out for those final two playoff positions that we currently we currently hold one of them, which it's amazing because I still don't think we've, we've played all that well this season and we end up sixth. So mm. it shows that we're doing something right and it shows what, you know, how well we're doing um, because there's some good clubs, you know, sitting in behind us. You know, yeah. you've got Hull are flying, Coventry are flying, they're on a good run. Uh, Watford have got some good players. Middlesbrough are, are kind of sitting there looking a bit dangerous. Norwich are sitting thirteenth. So you know, for us to be sitting sixth, we must be doing something right. And um, 
and yeah, let, let's just see how we are, at the, how we're doing at the end of the season. Uh, just to go back to that one that I read out from Niall about why did we still appoint Beale even after the backlash? Um, well, nah, they, they listened to the fans when there was backlash over the potential of appointing Farioli in the summer, and that never happened. And you know, look at him now; he, he could be managing in the Champions League next season with Nice. So, so I, I don't think there was any chance they were going to react any differently. They kind of they went through a process. They'd already, if you believe what believe what you read and what I've been told. Apparently, he was their number one choice from the off. He interviewed well, but they interviewed six other people. And he was the one that they always wanted, and they got him in the end. If that's their mindset, and they wanted they wanted him, then they were always going to get him. It wasn't going to make a difference what the fans necessarily thought. I mean, I've never seen a backlash. I, I must be honest. Never seen a backlash to a, to a potential appointment like that, ever. <laughs> but, you know, time will tell. You know, they're all... All appointments yeah. are risks. I'm not, I, I never... I would never have had him on my list of who I wanted... We'll see. We'll see how it goes with Beale. He will leave at some point. They all do. They all leave. You know, no matter how popular they are, they all leave. It's about what state he leaves us in, isn't it? You know, Lee yeah. Johnson was appointed and left for a reason because, he, yes, he brought us forward from a coaching perspective. He had us playing better football, but they didn't think he would get us over the line. So they replaced him with somebody who did. Then when that relationship ended, they put somebody in charge to stabilise us and carry on the good footballing philosophy. And then when that relationship broke down, they chose to go with somebody who was more aligned with their way of thinking. You've got to say the, the managerial appointments have all left us in a better position ultimately with Sunderland. And it's about it's about what Beale leaves us in, what, what state he leaves us in and where we are when he does go. You know, I, I'm less... I, I mean, there has been less negativity towards him, certainly after the wins we've had, but he did get a lot of stick after Newcastle. And I just, I've kind of come to accept that whenever we don't win a game, you're going to see the same people on particularly social media popping up and highlighting issues with them. And that's absolutely fine. That's totally their prerogative. I'm just saying, I do think that there are a portion of fans who never wanted them in the first place. And every time they get a chance to stick the knife in, they're going to because they just don't want them at the football club. And that's absolutely fine. But I'm I'm still on the fence with them because I don't think... What we've seen to date is any reflection of him because of everything you just said before, Chris, about time on the training pitch mainly. Yeah. He came in a couple of days before first game was a couple of days before Christmas. They had Christmas Day off. We had a game boxing day. Sort of the days between them games will have either been days off or recovery days. So maybe by the end of this month or going after that Middlesbrough game, we might maybe see more of an impact, maybe with some new players coming in. Um what he's been what he's been doing with them really. Yeah, and I mean, unless you know for certain, I mean, I, I'm still not convinced that they didn't change him out in the summer because of a fan backlash. I just think that the time they looked into it and they thought the timing wasn't right. But I, I'm not sure. Uh, to, on the footballing side, I'm not sure they, you know, really care what they, they've got a plan and they, they want to stick to it. So, yeah, I'm even if there was a, you know, there was a backlash, but. I honestly think on the football side, the club just don't care. Which, yeah. I, to be honest, I'm, I'm in full agreement with, to be honest. <laughs> right. We'll move along from Michael Beale anyways. We've got a, a little bit left to do. We won't we won't drag it out any much longer than this. We've got a couple more questions and then we will call it a day. Uh, Degsy, on the future of the club, has asked, what will be seen as success this season? That's an interesting one, isn't it? Because publicly, the club have said, like I mentioned before, when, when Beale was appointed, Speakman said, I can't remember the exact words, but it was 
around the you know that we want to get promoted or we want to finish as high as we can that sort of thing but off the pitch there might be a very different viewpoint on it you know they might be looking at it and saying we need to be ready to go up when we do go up and if that's not this season then we need to be in as good a shape as we can going into the pre-season to then have a proper assault on the top two next year perhaps I don't know obviously the aim is to win every game and finish as high as we can but what would be seen as success because to me it's it's basically where we are now. I think if we if we're still six in the table after the final game of the season, we're in the playoffs. We've got a chance of getting promoted. It's matching what we did last year, but some of the players who've been along for the ride have got better and improved, and the team's got better. That's where I want to be at. Is it is that success to you, or should we be aiming higher than that? Because I know a lot of people are. A lot of people seem. A lot of people think that we should be breaking our necks this January in particular to bring players in who are going to get us over the line but if we don't finish in the top six is that still success or not oh yeah definitely I think in most people's minds that you know we finished fifth last season in our first uh, season back I think if you're just saying what is what is success I think the bottom line is playoffs I think to to finish and like but the other the other thing you have to consider is it's a tougher championship this season so I think it's a it's a good sign that we are actually moving forward because we're in a uh, weirdly we're in about the same position but in what I consider to be a tougher league this season so actually we are in theory moving forward because we're in the same position if that Mm. makes any sort of sense I hope that that does make sense but yeah I, I think it's playoffs and I think with I think the the Newcastle game highlighted where we are on that kind of hopefully journey to the Premier League at some point, because the, the if we do make the playoffs, we'll have the same conversations as we had last season, where people are saying, if it's there, you take it, of course you take it, you, you're never going to turn down a chance to, to get promoted to the Premier League. But at the same time, in an ideal world, again, I, I go back to the bottom three, are the three promoted clubs um, that came up from the Championship last season, they're the bottom three in the Premier League. And if you don't get promoted, it seems now, if you don't get promoted where you're in such a position where you are clearly head and shoulders above the rest of the championship and you know that you're going to be able to compete in the Premier League, you know, you just have to accept that you're going to go up and down for a few seasons to to get your squad in that position. And then you've got a plan. You've almost got a plan for coming back down so you don't go too big, so you don't lose those players. And then you come back around to getting promoted better and, You've got to have a, a loop or two coming back down and going back up. So, like I said, it's it's going to be that strange position that we're in, um, which I think is, again, some of the theory behind the way the model works, that you take young players, you make them better, and when they when they make a step up, actually, if they're, if they're more technical players, you might stand half a chance because they're progressing and you don't have to kind of bring all those players in. But... Yeah, so for me, it's playoffs. It, it it has to be that kind of fifth or sixth position. So and I, and I think most fans will will be in agreement. I think people who are, who we are even dreaming about the top two, uh, you know, I, I, that's no, completely no gone. That. that that's completely <laughs> gone. And we're not we're not good enough. We're not we're not consistent enough. But then again, we've we're dealing with as we said, with the makeup of our squad with those young players. You've got to accept the consistencies because. Those those players and those players are going to grow with us, which they have through some of them have, who were with us in League One, are just getting better and better all the time. And um, 
And yeah, I think, look, we're on the right track. I mean, we're sixth and I don't think we've played particularly well this season. And we're in that chasing pack, which, again, if you look at the look at the league, if you look at the teams behind us, we're doing all right. We're on the right track. And mm. I would not be surprised if we were there or thereabouts at the end of the season. Yeah, James Anderson's added a comment along this theme. He said, what do you think about the need to build something that is sustainable and ensures we can compete with the so-called big clubs in the Premier League? People forget we were once called the Bank of England Club and the team of all talents and bought the first £1,000 player. This requires a plan. If KLD's plan is not what people want, what plan do they want? Don't let emotions cloud judgment. For example, Stuart Donald buying Will Grigg because he thought he had to. I could go on forever. Get the wrong player and you're stuck with them for years, as we all know. I mean, that covers off a lot there. But I think basically what James is saying there is that when we do get back to the top flight, we have to be ready for it. Yeah. You look at the teams, you mentioned it before, the likes of Sheffield United and, and Burnley and Luton going up this year, and there is such a disparity between them and, and the rest. Like You look at Leicester in particular, and, and probably Southampton actually, who've, who started badly, yeah. but are one of the most informed teams in the league now. You, you look at them two, and they are probably better than those three teams I've just mentioned but they're yep. playing in the league below. Le- Leicester, there's such a disparity between them and the rest. I've just seen them linked with a £21 million move for someone at Inter Milan. You know, <laughs> there's such a disparity yep. between them and everybody else because of the parachute payments. And to be honest, they've earned that right by being in the Premier League in the first place. If you get there and you come back down and you've got all that money to spend, you you know, you've earned it because you've got that you've got to the Premier League at some point and that, that's your right. And as long as parachute payments exist, you know, that, that's going to be the case. For Sunderland, it's about how do when we do it, how do we do it without breaking the bank, and how do we do it sustainably, but also how do we do it with a squad that can grow with us, and I think that's what we're trying to do. It, there's going to be bumps in the road. There's going to, we're going to make signs that don't work out, but I think overall we're in a better position than we were when when Kelde took over on the playing side of things. The squad is night and day in terms of the difference and. Somebody pointed out when we played Newcastle, six of the team that started that game were part of the team who got us out of League One. So this yeah. team is growing with us. We, we, we finished sixth in the Championship last year. We got to a playoff semi-final. This year, we're, we're kind of in the same zone. In what I, I agree with you, it's a more difficult league. It's very easy if we have a couple of bad results to drop down the table, but it's just as easy if you have a couple of good ones to come back up it. Um, to me, really, all we've got to do We've got to sort out our away form. Ironically, last year it was the other way around, but we've got to sort the away form out. We've got to get a striker scoring goals, whether that's someone we've got or whether that's somebody coming in. And we've just got to let these players develop. The likes of Job, I've seen people criticising him a little bit in recent weeks, but he will undoubtedly have benefited from the amount of game time he's had this year. He'll improve. I remember having the same conversations with Dan Neal. I think at one point, me and you, I remember talking and saying, I don't get it with Dan Neal, like, but look at the look at how good he is now because he's had all of these games and all of this experience. Jack Clark wasn't even a regular starter in League One. He didn't start in the playoff final. Look at him now, best winger in the league. These players, at some point, they will burst into life. I, I, I trust the recruitment in that sense. And ultimately, it's about having a bit of patience. And whether you've got patience or not is another thing. A lot of fans don't have patience. They want to get back to the Premier League as quickly as possible. I just don't think that's going to happen under this ownership. I don't think they're going to splash the cash in order to get there as quick as we can. When we do get there, it's going to be through merit, ultimately. And, you know, that's probably not what some people want. 
but it's what they want. And on the playing side, I think they've earned my trust. They've earned certainly your trust. You've 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 said it before. Yeah. And it is what it is. You know, I'm quite happy on the playing side of things. I'm not. It doesn't worry us. If we don't go out and sign loads of players in this window, it's not a disaster. I still trust in the squad we've got. I think it's just a steady build. Uh, you know, James hinted at it there. It's about being ready when you ready at the right time, isn't it? Ultimately. Yeah. Well, look, you've got to remember that. You know, it was only we've only well, it's only been a season and a half after we'd spent four years in League One. And the thing is, once you've spent four years in League One, churning through League One level players, there's only one way to to keep building from there, and that's that's to do it in a sustainable way. Uh, Kieran Louis Dreyfus couldn't come in. I think even by the rules, he couldn't come in and just spend. 80 million quid or whatever and just splash the cash and give us a world-class squad and, and take us up to the Premier League. You can't do that now. So you have to have a plan. And this is the plan. And the 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 main take-home from me is that at the end of each year, you look and you kind of say, are we better off than we were last season? And if we can keep doing that and if we can keep saying, well, the recruitment is at least taking us in a in the right direction, even if it's not as quick as we'd like. Because, I mean, you, you, you can highlight mistakes. You can highlight that the, the strikers haven't maybe kind of gone, gone the way we all would have liked them to. But the fact that we're sixth suggests we're, we're doing something right. And we, ju- we just kind of need to keep with it. Like I said, I mean, I mean, the, the question was asked there, saying, well, what do people want? But I actually don't think there's any other alternative. Kirill Louis-Dreyfus, you know, okay, he might have a rich family and all this sort of stuff, but he's not. He's not going to just throw all, he's not going to do an Alice short and just chuck loads of money at it and just kind of just, you know, haphazardly spend money everywhere. And then we'll see where we are and the club are in trouble and he gets bored and he, he does a runner and we go through it all again. I mean, the, the point is now that we've got, we've got a good squad. We haven't spent fortunes. We've got a lot of players who clubs want to spend a lot of money on and that's a good place to be. And, like when people say, what do other people want? I don't think there is another way. Or, or we could go out and buy those journeyman players and try and do it on free transfers and all this sort of stuff. And I mean, maybe you could say, right, well, don't go as young and bring in players who are more, have got more experience, 24, 25. But the problem is then you can add another three, four million onto them because they've played those games. We, we mm-hmm. take a chance of players who haven't played those games and nobody else has taken a chance on them and we get them for cheap. And when they come off, like I said, I mean, the case of Jack Clark, maybe brought them in for, I don't know, maybe you kind of adjust a sell-on fee or something like that, and maybe a couple of million or whatever. But if we sell them for 30, you know, that that's the way it's got to be. And yeah. yeah, I just don't see another way. Well, that was an epic. We, But I've really enjoyed it that. Was. It's been a good chance to catch up and really talk about everything which is going on around the club. We've we've covered off a lot, mate. <laughs> I'm surprised you've not yawned because you're, you're, you're notorious for um, yawning. <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely knackered <laughs> well cheers mate thanks for joining us been good to catch back up with you no, no worries cheers to the listeners if you've made it this far well done we will be back like I say with a more regular schedule now that the new year and Christmas is out of the way uh, with a review show after Ipswich so thanks very much for listening we'll catch you then Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.